The Spectrum Mobility Accessibility Podcast is brought to you by Spectrum Mobility. Spectrum Mobility provides accessibility consulting, assessments, and RHFAC certification for the Metro Vancouver, Fraser Valley, and British Columbia area. If you would like to become more accessible, contact us at spectrummobility.com. Hello and welcome to the Spectrum Mobility Accessibility Podcast. This is Arnold coming to you from Vancouver, British Columbia, and this is episode number two. And today we're going to be talking about what accessibility is. So accessibility is one of those terms that everyone seems to have a different opinion about, and it really depends on how you look at it. So for our purposes, we're going to link it to people with disabilities because that's what uh, this podcast is all about, really. So I'm going to toss around a couple of different definitions on accessibility, and one of them is going to be from the Rick Hansen Foundation, and the other is going to be from the Canadian Standards Association. And they have mostly to do with the built environment, which is what we deal with here at Spectrum Mobility. The definition from the Rick Hansen Foundation is actually a two-parter. There is a sentence that they use in our training manual, and there's also a longer definition, and I'm going to um, quote directly here. Access or accessible means that a person with disabilities is, without assistance, able to approach, enter, pass to and from, and make use of an area and its facilities. And then further down it goes, and I quote, There are many different variations on what accessibility means and what goals a focus on accessibility should achieve for people with disabilities. The Rick Hansen Foundation describes accessibility as the degree to which a product, device, activity, facility, service, or environment allows everyone to participate fully and is available to everyone on an equal basis. Here's another definition from the Canadian Standards Association. They say that accessibility is, and I quote, a site, building, and its facilities that can be approached, entered, and used by people, including those with physical, sensory, or cognitive disabilities. As you can tell by the two definitions, they are both very vague and very specific at the same time. But the ultimate point of both of them is that it's something that is usable. That is what accessibility is. It's not so much about legislation. It's not so much about the rules or measurements. It's about whether something can be used by someone who needs to use them. And in our case, it's someone with a disability. So when I approach people about the topic of accessibility, especially in the United States, people often see it as some sort of legal issue. So they think of it as compliance. They think of it as a law that must be followed to avoid getting sued. And I find that approach is not very helpful. The reason why is because people don't seem to understand what accessibility means or what it's supposed to do if they are thinking about it from a legal standpoint. Accessibility is not so much a legal issue, it's more of a human rights issue. Because ultimately, people should have the right to the same services and places as everyone else. And if, for some reason, through no fault of your own, 
you are locked out of those places and services, then it's a violation of your rights. So here in Canada, half of all human rights cases have to do with disability. And within that group, uh, many of the complaints also have to do with accessibility. And really, that's not surprising, because when you think about it, if you have a complaint about a place offering you, or denying you, I should say, uh, services or goods, chances are it probably had something to do with whether you can get to that service or good. And that is, of course, an accessibility problem. So what's preventing us from improving accessibility? Many people point to the fact that Canada has no accessibility legislation, like the U.S., I'm not sure if I buy that, because even though the U.S. in general seems to have, you know, a little better accessibility than Canada does, it's also got many places with really bad accessibility. And part of the reason is because of what I just stated. Some people see the, uh, the requirements for accessibility as a checklist to tick off to avoid being sued. Whenever I go to the U.S., they always use this term. They say ADA compliant. And it's being used so often that I'm not sure if they actually know what it means anymore. People have really, you know, come to assume that it means accessible, but it doesn't. People treat the ADA like a checklist. And when they treat it like a checklist, they don't really seem to understand what accessibility is because they're just checking off items on a list to avoid being sued. So I'll give you an example of when ADA compliant did not mean accessible. So a couple years ago, I went to New York City on a vacation and I went to a hostel, a really nice hostel actually, right next to Central Park. I was asking if they had accessible restrooms. They said, oh, the ADA restrooms are on whatever floor it was. And I was like, that's not really what I asked. So what the heck was an ADA restroom? So I went up and took a look and I immediately found out what it was. It was basically an ADA compliant restroom. Now notice I didn't say accessible because it was not. The biggest issue was actually a pretty big one for a place like a hostel. And that was with the showers. They had a shower bench. So a shower bench is used by those who can't stand you know, to take a shower, right? So you can shower sitting down. They had a shower bench, but it was about a meter and a half away from the faucet handle. Now, I don't know about you, but my arms are not a meter and a half long, and neither is anyone else's that I'm aware of. Even though it was ADA compliant, like it was the right height, it was the right type of uh, bench, it was the right construction, it was right everything, except you have to be Inspector Gadget to turn on the faucet from that position. They're able to provide a, you know, a, an alternate solution, but at the same time, if your restroom was supposed to be ADA compliant, it's also, you know, supposed to be accessible. In this case, it wasn't. People don't really seem to understand what accessibility is when they follow ADA rules. Now, people wonder about Canada. Well, how accessible is Canada? Now, I can't say for the rest of the country because, quite frankly, I have not been well-traveled within my own country, which is kind of odd. But uh, here in Vancouver, Vancouver is known as one of the more accessible cities in the world. But I don't think that's saying too much because the bar is not set very high at the moment. 
we have done fairly well without an accessibility legislation. However, sometimes, ironically, not having knowledge of legislation or not having knowledge of the rules can actually help you. So here's a really weird example. Morgan's Wonderland in San Antonio, Texas. I've never been there myself. I would love to go there one day. So what is Morgan's Wonderland? Uh, Morgan's Wonderland is touted as the world's first super accessible theme park and playground. It's like an amusement park, but it's actually built to be as accessible as possible. So when they hired people, from what I heard anyway, when they hired people to build it, they specifically wanted contractors who knew almost nothing about the ADA. And the reasoning behind it is because they didn't want people to be restricted in their thinking when they're building it. So they're not just checking items off of a list. They'll be thinking innovatively. And in a way it worked because it is quite well known now for being probably one of the more inclusive uh, recreational spaces available anywhere in the world. And uh, one day I'll do an episode on Morgan's Wonderland because it really is quite a story. But that approach is a very interesting one and very counterintuitive considering it's the U.S. we're talking about. So now that we've mentioned a bit about legislation, the ultimate question becomes, why isn't accessibility understood? And I find that to be one of the more loaded questions, but also it's one of the more interesting questions. A lot of people don't think long term. They think of what's immediately in front of them. They don't think of what's down the road. And it, this is true for many cases, but for accessibility, it, it becomes an even bigger issue. So when I talk to businesses about accessibility, many of them don't put accessibility that high up on the priorities list. And many of the um, reasons given are very short-term reasons. For example, they might say, we don't have a need for it right now, or we've never had a customer with a disability, or we've never had a, an employee with a disability, which is kind of like a chicken and the egg when you think about it. If you don't make your store accessible, you're not going to have people with mobility needs or accessibility needs coming into your business. If you don't set your workplace up to be accessible, then many people with accessibility needs are not going to work at your company. And many businesses also think of accessibility as catering to a niche market. And I find this to be the most annoying thing to hear because it is not a niche market. People with disabilities actually make up the largest minority group, not only in Canada, but the world. And the ratios are more or less the same throughout many countries, most countries. And that ratio is around one in five. And bear in mind that this is only the known people with disabilities. These are only the people who will identify as having a disability because there are people who don't, who don't want to be identified as such. For example, people who are seniors who might not want to admit that their hearing is going or people with really uh, wrecked knees from sporting injuries or something like that who might limp a bit, but they don't identify as having a disability. And also that number does not factor in the people with disabilities plus their families and friends. And when they hang out, they're not going to be hanging out at a place that's not accessible. No, they're going to be hanging out 
together, right? So that number, one in five, is actually much higher than you might think. It's the recognition of that strength in numbers that will determine how accessible we become. And understanding that is only the tip of the iceberg. And it affects more people than you might think. Because in previous group discussions about accessibility with people who don't have disabilities, you know, we would talk about something and then someone would say something very surprising. Like, for example, oh, you know, we installed uh, an elevator at our office and suddenly someone, you know, I didn't know had knee problems started using it. And suddenly that person's life became a lot you know, better every day in the office. And nobody knew. Nobody knew because that person did not identify as having a disability despite having really bad knees. And when you think about it, many people without disabilities use items that are geared towards people with disabilities all the time. I just mentioned elevators. Well, think about how much help escalators become for people with bad knees. Or think about wayfinding. Wayfinding is such a big thing. If you make wayfinding a priority, it actually helps people with vision issues. It can help people with memory issues, people who are just not good at navigating um, certain spaces, but it's actually good for everyone. I'll give you an example. When I went to South Korea, I was trying to navigate a station in Seoul called Jongno Samga. And for anyone who knows Seoul, Jongno Samga is a little bit infamous. The reason why Jongno Samga was infamous is because it is a station where I think three or more subway lines converge into one station. And if you know the Seoul subway, it is enormous. It's got 300 plus stations um, spread out over maybe 10 to 14 lines. It's probably one of the most massive subway systems I've ever navigated. You know, I'm not Korean. Uh, I could read a little bit of Korean, but when I was at Jongno Samga for the very first time, I actually did not know any Korean. Well, I kind of knew where to go. I knew the subway line I wanted, but I had never been to that station and I didn't know anything. But somehow I was able to navigate that station because the wayfinding was so good that I didn't even need to know a lick of Korean to figure it out. So here I was, someone with the uh, cognitive know-how to figure out most places and someone with uh, full vision being able to navigate something without reading a word. And even if you had low vision, they had many, many uh, visual cues. So they had cues on the ground, they had cues up above, and if you happened to go alongside the wall, guess what? The walls had cues too. They had lines, like colored lines saying, oh, the orange line is there, the green line is there. So if you are low vision, look for the wall. Like there are so many ways to do it. And of course, you know, if you're fully blind, they have the tactile tiles everywhere. Like they had so many different types of ways to get around. And this is where, you know, something is good for people with disabilities, but it's also good for everyone. And really, I think that's what people need to start thinking. People need to start thinking of accessibility as not catering to a niche market or catering to a special population, 
but really something that benefits everyone. And when you start thinking like that, things tend to improve. And then many people don't know where to start when it comes to accessibility. And I've come across some clients who are kind of scared, I guess, to start implementing accessibility because they have this fear of doing it wrong. And I try not to use the word wrong or right with my clients because nothing is really right or wrong. You know, anything can be improved, even stuff that's quote, quote unquote done right. I always tell them if you're not sure what to do, it's pretty simple. The first step towards solving a problem is giving a damn. And this is uh, advice that uh, I use with almost all my clients because once you start caring, or giving a damn, things tend to just start improving. So I'll give you uh, two examples. I've been to a brand new building with massive accessibility problems before, and I've been to pretty old buildings with very few accessibility problems. And people might be surprised to hear about that because they think, oh, newer buildings must be more accessible. Not necessarily. Many people don't know that if you neglect accessibility, it doesn't matter how new your building is. You're going to make yourself inaccessible. And if you don't care about it, you're going to remain that way. But if you care about accessibility, it doesn't really matter how old your building is. You will always find a way to improve. And one more thing before I wrap up, one more uh, accessibility uh, assumption is that people think that the building code is accessibility. No, it's not. Um, just because you follow building code doesn't mean you're accessible. Think about it from a logical standpoint. Every building out there is required to follow building code. They're legally required. If the building code really guaranteed accessibility, then technically following that logic all buildings should be accessible. But no, that's not the case. Many buildings are not, even if they follow building code. And uh, here's a scary tidbit from the Vancouver building code, is that it does not require an area of refuge. Now, why is that important? Well, because if there's a fire, areas of refuge often have separate oxygen supplies so that you can hide out in there and, you know, you would be safe from the, hopefully from the flames and the smoke until help arrives. But if your fire uh, stairwells do not have areas of refuge and you're in a wheelchair or if you are in a mobility scooter or something, then you're in big trouble. And that's why building codes do not equal accessibility because there are many, many gaps in the code. So that is this episode on what accessibility is. Um, I hope I covered most things. I don't think I covered everything because accessibility is such a big topic. That's why we have a whole podcast on this. But I, I'm pretty sure in the upcoming episodes, we'll cover other topics more and more to fill up these gaps that we probably have not filled in in this episode. So the next episode... We're going to be talking about accessible transportation 
because that is probably the most problematic issue going on out there right now because it doesn't matter if you have an accessible building if you can't get to it then what good is it so until next time this is arnold stay accessible the spectrum mobility accessibility podcast is brought to you by spectrum mobility spectrum mobility provides accessibility consulting assessments and rhfac certification for the Metro Vancouver, Fraser Valley, and British Columbia area. If you would like to become more accessible, contact us at spectrummobility.com.